The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra Icon. What's going on, Dwayne? Not too much, uh, you know, this, now that we're in the finals and everything's spaced out, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my time now. I, I know, man, I, you saw Buffalo Wild Wings account got hacked last night. See what happens when you take away the NBA basketball. Exactly. Eve, just pure Eve. Right. <laughs> uh, that was a wild moment, and I don't think we need overtime or something for that account or something, because <laughs> that just was crazy. <laughs> Another score can be found on the CSPN. You can find us on the web at www.cspn.us. You can also find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. You can follow the show account on Twitter at KTS Pod. You can follow Dwayne on Twitter at The Libra Icon. You can follow me on Twitter at Don DeLorente. So, Dwayne, we're going to get into it. The Stanley Cup Finals started this week. And the Las Vegas Golden Knights, they win game one, six to four. Thomas Nosek scored the go-ahead goal midway through the third period after Capitals had stormed back to take the lead. So they got the one-nothing series lead in front of their home crowd. That place was pumped. And uh, they got a really good game because they jumped out in front early. The Capitals came back, looked like they had game control. And then the Golden Knights got two more goals to kind of put it away. So kind of uh, your analysis of game one, sir. Well... Aside from the long-winded presentation and theatrics of the pregame, which they really need to tone that back a lot, but it's Vegas, man. I guess, uh, yeah, I guess. But <laughs> in regards to the game, though, um, this was a good game. Uh, a lot of this is probably what you want as you know a casual hockey fan. A lot of goals, and they delivered on that, and a lot of goals, a lot of action. Uh, star power, um, you know, everything that you would want to have in this matchup was there. A lot of drama, a lot of, um, you know, back and forth in terms of scoring. I really thought that the – it was probably also just a case of first-game jitters. I mean, for some players, I mean, they've been in the Stanley Cup. Um, uh, but for others, you know, and as a, you know, team – hasn't been there in 20 years versus a team that's there for obviously the first time because it's their first season. So um, I think the NBC got what they wanted in terms of, you know, the flow of the game, things like that. I thought Vegas had a good four check going early. They were attacking. And that's what got them up 3-1. And when the Capitals play desperate, that's when they're dangerous. And that's how they got back in the game to uh, take the lead. But, uh, Vegas always has found a way. They've been doing it all season long. They've been doing it all postseason long. They always try. They always end up finding a way to uh, end up coming back and winning the game. And and so you know that's how Game One ended, and that's how they got the first Stanley Cup playoff final win in franchise history. All right, the Capitals they bounced back to win Game Two, three to two, behind possibly the biggest save in Capitals history by Brayton Holpe. This turned out to be the Capitals' first ever victory in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, Vetchkin got things rolling. Uh, he scored the first goal in this game. And uh, from there, Brayton Holpe, uh, like, like I said, was one of the best saves ever with the skinny part of his stick. He uh, basically shut down the open part of the goal and preserved that victory. 
So you've been talking about Brayton Hopi ever since he got reinserted back into the starting lineup for the Capitals and that he just may be that hot goaltender that uh, the team rides to the Stanley Cup uh, championship. So uh, your analysis on game two. Uh, game two is more defensive. I think now that you have the familiarity out the way, the formalities out the way, another long winded presentation because Vegas. Um, but the the um, Capitals really came out. Um, they were the attackers this time, and, and they they held serve. They had a lot of block shots, a lot of a lot of um, great goaltending. And I, you know, not only was it the skinny part of the stick, it was, it was also his hand because it was like right under the blocker of the of his equipment that where Brady Holby made that save, and that really was the difference from it being you know o two versus one one. And now we had a we have a series now uh, with the Capitals winning on the road. And now you got to go back home. And this is where things have to turn around for Washington because they've not been a good home team in the playoffs, which is, you know, wild to say. I mean, you got 15,000, 16,000 fans on your side and you're not delivering. So this is Washington's best shot to, to get this uh, series in their favor. They have to take advantage of the – Crowd, they have to take advantage of the momentum. Uh, I believe it is on their side right now, but with the way the schedule is, I mean, you got a good three days rest between between games, and then three and four, and then you got another three days off before game five. So you know, I think even with the win, you know, it kind of takes away that momentum, that long break, and everything. But I want to see Washington, you know, play well on their own ice. Uh, and um, try to avoid that biggest attack in in uh, game three. And we'll see how that goes from there. All right. So we're going to shift over to the NBA. But just a reminder that this is Know the Score. You're listening to Don DeLorente and the Libra icon, Dwayne. So Dwayne, in the NBA, we got a fascinating story popped up where Brian Colangelo, the 76ers GM, is accused of using burner Twitter accounts to prop up himself and take shots at various 76ers players present and former um, the ringer is being credited with this story as there've been multiple accounts that have been kind of linked to insider information on uh, 76ers uh, players as far as injuries and just, you know, kind of internal beef between players and things like that. Um, just a totally, you know, shocking story and now shocking allegation. So uh, what were your first thoughts Dwayne, when you got wind of this story on a uh, Thursday, I think is when it started to come down. Well, it was, um, uh... Interesting. I mean, but you gotta consider because the uh, Sixers were one of the best stories in the NBA this season, and you know everybody talked about how you know the process was coming into fruition, and and um, you know after the Celtics knocked them out in five, and they were still processing that loss. But the everything now is kind of just like you know where if there was if these are allegations are true, I mean this is something that they definitely weren't distracted by, um, considering how they ended the season with 16 straight wins and whatnot. But I was surprised, but then again, uh, you know, you're not surprised by this because, you know, everybody needs an outlet somewhere. And with the fact that these, um, you know, these uh, high-profile players, GMs, things like that, they have to – they have to um, look into this and and um, see what kind of you know 
what kind of things are happening, you know, between behind the scenes, things like that. I don't know if um, Calandolo was jealous of the whole process thing, the whole Sam Hankey situation, or, you know, the whole Markel Fultz pretty much saying, you know, man up or whatnot. That was pretty wild. Um, I, something you, you, it's a pretty some shocking thing, but then you're not surprised because of the day and age that we're in. And, you know, um, it just shows that even high profile um, execs and even players, I've seen it with Kevin Durant, they need these um, accounts to get, get their thoughts out as well. So um, now, of course, there's, um, of course, you know, Colangelo is denying all this, probably trying to save face and keep the job, but there are a lot of uh, damning things that are going against him, especially considering that his wife's email is out there and things are matching up with that. And uh, all he has to do is pretty much just own up to it, you know, own up to it. Get fired. It brings Sam Hinkie back for crying out loud. I mean, I mean, the process has worked. It came into fruition. Uh, I think the Sixers owners were, I mean, if they were patient enough to keep Brett Brown around, why weren't they patient enough to keep Sam Hinkie around? So, you know, like everything that happened, you know, has turned out well, except for this now. And it's an unnecessary distraction. And, and, you know, I like the way the Sixers are handling it. I mean, they're trying to keep the whole, let the whole process thing play out. But this is going to be a huge cloud over their, over Philadelphia basketball for the next few months. And so they need to act accordingly and uh, figure out what they're going to do with this. Uh, there were five, there are five Twitter accounts in question. Um, Calangelo has, um, you know, basically owned up to owning one of them, but he said he used it more to kind of just monitor NBA news and things like that. Uh, but uh, like you said, a lot of these uh, Twitter accounts are following people that are very close to him, like his kids and like his basketball team and stuff like that. So yeah, it doesn't look good as far as the circumstantial evidence that's going to be presented in this case towards him, you know, using these Twitter accounts to, um, you know, talk about, you know, everybody from New Orleans Noel to, uh, the GM of the uh, Toronto Raptors who replaced him and took his job. So very interesting, interesting story to say the least. So we had some game sevens that took place since the last time we recorded Dwayne, the Cavs defeated your Celtics in game seven, 87 to 79. LeBron James put up 35, 15 and nine playing all 48 minutes. Jeff Green stepped up in the absence of Kevin Love to score 19 points as well. Um, just a, a second half where I thought that Boston shot themselves out of the game, uh, just taking too many threes. They didn't stick to the game plan that was working in the first half, which was having Al Horford kind of at the elbow running pick and roll and having them, you know, shoot intermediate jump shots and Al Horford dumping down, rolling in, getting post ups and dunks that really worked well in the first half to a 12 point halftime lead. But in the middle of the third quarter through the fourth quarter, Boston got jump shot happy and uh, they just didn't make enough. So, uh, Dwayne, your assessment of LeBron James once again getting the Cavs into the finals. <sighs> okay. Still processing, huh? Still processing it. It was a it was a great run. Uh, I mean, you know, LeBron James is the best player in this era right now of the NBA, and it's one of those things where. You know, they did, you know, fall in love with the three-pointer too much. The Celtics did. 
Um, Terry Rozier was two for 14. Jalen Brown was five for 18. Marcus Smart was like one for 10. So it was uh, pretty much a very, uh, very combined eight for 42. So, and then the Celtics were seven for 39 from three point range in the end of the day. Uh, Tatum and Horford did all that they could. And, you know, LeBron got the, the help that he needed. And out of all people, it was from Jeff Green. I mean, uh, well, you the, called it last Saturday. I did. <laughs> I did. And, and, uh, and that, frankly, did not surprise me one bit. So, um, you know, it was a great run. I think a lot of people celebrated. Of course, they, you know, people always like to see a team like the Celtics go down. But, you know, they were pretty much saying that Milwaukee was going to beat them and the Sixers were going to wash them. And the Cavaliers were going to win in five. And, you know, they beat the Bucks. They watched the Sixers and took the Cavs to seven games and, you know, the whole half made a difference. So um, next year we're going to see – we're probably going to see some moves from uh, Danny Ainge. Uh, I know he's already got his eyes on Texas forward Mo Bamba, so he's looking to move up in the in the draft. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, you make a deal with the OSA Atlanta Hawks and send one of – send um, – uh, pick and I don't know maybe Marcus Smart I don't know um but we'll see what happens um you got Hayward who's got his who's had the screws in the plate removed to stabilize his leg and he should be back uh Kyrie Irving is going to be back as well and so uh you know the future is definitely bright in Boston um but the Cavaliers they they live by the slogan whatever it takes um this postseason and they lived up to it and this is where we are now. Is Terry Rozier an unrestricted free agent, or is this is this a player option for him? Uh, it's a player option. He's not unrestricted, so uh, definitely a player. Op- I think he is a play- has a player option, so um, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, it's going to be a lot of difficult decisions that are going to be made. Uh, if there was a trade to happen to Atlanta because you were talking about Schroeder doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild, that would probably be the guy right there that would probably get packaged with the pick. Right. And I think, so. you know, that would be pretty – I mean, Schroeder's a, Schroeder's a decent player. He's a pest too. So uh, I think it would be a good look for the Celtics if they got him. All right. So the Warriors, they make a comeback from a second-half deficit for the second straight game to defeat the Rockets in Game 7, 101-92. Kevin Durant scored 34 points, and Steph Curry added in another 27. Houston missed the NBA Conference Finals record 27 straight three-point attempts. Uh, Chris Paul did not play in this game. Uh, He was out with a hamstring injury, and uh, they really missed him because, again, uh, they just settled for the three-point baskets. They weren't attacking uh, the paint. Uh, You can see James Harden kind of wearing down. He he was very aggressive in the first half, really attacking the paint, getting Capella a lot of dunks and open looks. But uh, as he got tired, he started settling for jumpers and Houston just didn't have any legs, and the Warriors do what they do in the third quarter, made their comeback, and, uh, you know, made the plays in the fourth quarter to, to, to win the game. So, um, D'Antoni didn't make any adjustments, and it cost them. And uh, the Warriors are back to the finals for the fourth straight time. Uh, Dwayne, your thoughts on uh, Houston? Uh, do you think things would have been different if Chris Paul would have played in this game? Eh, probably not. I mean, I said Warriors in seven anyway, so, um, so I really think even if Chris Paul played, you know, we would have to ask if Andre Iguodala would have he made a difference. So um, I think that the 
But what happened is with the Chris Paul injury, that was just a crazy, unfortunate incident. And I also noticed that when the Rockets were in the middle of that building a skyscraper with those mystery pointers, um, Trevor Ariza the, was so busy trying to contain Durant. I mean, he went 0 for 12 and 0 for 9 for 3. And that was just a glaring statistic right there. And and it was just one of those things. And it just boiled down to coaching. I think D'Antoni, if he really wanted to beat Steve Kerr, like I think he wanted to. I mean, you know, the the whole um, running gun offense that he had uh, when Steve Kerr took over, he pretty much dismantled what D'Antoni's system needed. And so I know D'Antoni has never forgot that. And you would have thought, hey, you know, we're getting killed in the third quarter. Let me make some adjustments. Let me get my star rested up a little bit during the timeout, call additional timeout, try to, you know, get his legs back. And, and he just showed them. I mean, every single time the Rockets uh, missed the three, they were defeated. Um, the Warriors were just surging like they do in the third quarter. And, and it's just like the spirit of Houston was just like crushed. Um, but would Chris Paul make a difference? No, um, I don't think so. I think, you know, when the Warriors do the third quarter thing, it's one, it's just, uh, it's like poetry in motion. And, and when they're hot, they're hot. And it's just very tough to stop. Yeah, sometimes in the third quarter, they really need to have like sweet George Brown playing in the background when they go on some of these runs because it's like, you know, globetrotter basketball exactly. shot making that, that they do. Just want to let everybody know that Know the Score this week is being brought to you by Amazon.com. You can help keep the podcast free and also get something for your father for Father's Day two weeks away by going through CSPN.us, clicking on the tab that says keep our podcast free, then scroll down to the Amazon link. Buy something for your father for Father's Day. Buy multiple things for your father for Father's Day. Some of your purchase comes back to us here at CSPN to help keep Know the Score free each and every week. So please, Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. So we move into game one of the finals. The Warriors, they win a thrilling game one of the finals. 124 to 114 in overtime. LeBron James scored 51 points in the losing effort. Steph Curry led the way for the Warriors with 29. The game will be remembered for J.R. Smith losing track of the score after rebounding George Hill's missed free throw, which would have given the Cavs the lead. Smith dribbled the ball away from the basket instead of attempting a game-winning shot, which led directly to the overtime. So Dwayne, J.R. Smith, obviously, is not a subscriber here to CSPN because he clearly didn't know the score. Um, one of the biggest blunders in the history of the NBA finals <laughs> and probably of all of basketball. So uh, yeah. just your first thoughts of the first, the game overall, and then this particular J.R. Smith uh, uh, shacked in the full incident. <laughs> oh man, this game was a really good game. And I really, I think a lot of people thought myself included. Okay. Cleveland's going to get blown out the water in the third quarter. We're going to see the third quarter thing happen. But the Cavs did a great job weathering the storm. Um, Kevin Love came back, put 21 and 14 up. Um, LeBron did his thing. Larry Nance Jr. was even, he was very, very effective on the offensive side. Jordan Clarkson was effective on the defensive side. Like, this was the line. Remember when the Cavs made the trade and, you know, everybody was jealous? That's what they needed. This is, when they lost to the Warriors, this is what was the catalyst to the, trade that constructed this team now and 
and they show that they can hang, but it comes down to certain situations, and this leads me to J.R. Smith. Um, there's no way you could tell me you thought the game was tied. No way you could tell me that you knew what the clock situation was, because if you knew what the clock situation was, none of that would have happened in terms of running across the court, throwing up a a whatever you want to call it, and then and then just say I thought we were ahead. Uh, you know, we saw you, we saw it come out your come out your mouth. I mean, those that can read lips, whatever they saw, I thought we were ahead. And then, you know, you're going to backtrack say, I knew the game was tied. Which one is it? I don't think he knew what the game situation was. Otherwise, had he known what the game situation was, this would not have happened. And I don't know. I think that was probably Cleveland's best shot in the first in this in this NBA Finals. I think that was their best shot in the first game. And, and that is pretty much where... Where we are now, I mean, the Warriors did kind of pull away in overtime and got the W, and now Cleveland has to sit and regroup for game two, and hopefully this will um, be put out their heads. But I can also say this. None of this would have happened if George Hill made the free throw to begin with, and I think, you know, because JR's blunder was so egregiously horrible that, you know, nobody – it's kind of like George Hill sneaking out the back door, like okay. It let's... was the it was the way LeBron reacted to J.R. Smith. I think that's making it so like the thing though, because his reaction was just so incredulous. Yeah, it was like like at first it was what are you doing, and then once he heard the explanation of I thought you were ahead, he had he had a look of disgust when he turned around to go to the bench that I've never seen a professional athlete show towards one of his teammates. That right. made a mistake before. <laughs> that probably uh, that probably be the moment he decided he's going to leave Cleveland right there. If this would have been a game seven, they're probably they probably would have fought on that basketball court. <laughs> agreed, agreed. <laughs> like we would probably seen teammates. Yeah, this would probably have been so magnified. Like like fisticuffs would happen. <laughs> right, right. I mean. You know, people always think about the Bill Buckner, the ball going through the legs or whatever, but that was only game six. The, you know, Red Sox still had one more chance to win the game, you know, to win the series the next day. But, you know, just, you know, make a blunder that big of a proportion in a deciding game, man. So, you know, maybe this will be the thing that will kind of maybe for Cleveland kind of wake J.R. Smith up. You know, he's been kind of sleepwalking through this whole playoffs and maybe this embarrassment will kind of refocus him and, and, and he can kind of add something. Uh, to Cleveland's playoff uh, push, but you know he because he really hasn't done anything except for this right <laughs> this whole playoffs exactly. So. And they and the memes and the clips have been hysterical too. Like shout out to the internet, right? Undefeated is the internet. Uh, we also had some controversy though with the refs overturning a charge call on Kevin Durant. LeBron James stepped in the lane and a charge was called on Durant. But after the review, because this was in the last two minutes, the play was ruled a block. And Durant hit both free throws to tie the game at 104. Um, I thought it clearly was a, a block because one, you can't take a charge with your body turned sideways. I don't care how early you get there or how late you get there. You got to be squared up to the man coming towards you. And LeBron was sliding in late and then he was turning his body. So when the contact was made, he was sideways and you can't call that a, a charge. I don't know what 
element of basketball allows you to do that. And I'm glad they had this ability to review it. But a lot of people are so up in arms that, oh, my gosh, it's the finals and you don't re- overturn calls. Well, that's what it's there for. That's what they put the rule in for. So um, those are my thoughts on it. Dwayne, your thoughts on the uh, controversial block charge? Yeah, I think a lot of people were so focused on is he in the circle? Is he out the restricted area? And I think people don't realize how he wasn't squared up to, you know, face Durant. Like you said, he was on he was turned to the side. And, you know, I've never, like you said, I've never seen anybody get a call in their favor until uh, that brief moment that LeBron got that call uh, where the, you know, you're turned to the side and you take a charge. I think people were so focused on the restricted area, they right. really did not look at to see how his body was. I think had his body been squared and he was out the restricted area and then the call got overturned, yes, then you have a very, very legitimate uh, right, but for the uh, for the uh, uh, and, what, and what's and what's been funny to me over the past uh, day and a half or whatever is the outrage is coming from people who know basketball, right? Like <laughs> you know, like y'all know basketball, y'all know that if this was the second quarter and they showed that replay, Jeff Van Gunner would be like, "That's not a charge. Mm-hmm. He's not square. That's a block. That that's a bad call." But you know because of the players involved and everything like that and the magnitude and what happened in the game, you've got these very smart people like, oh my goodness, this was such an egregious error. They shouldn't be going back to, to turn overturn a call that was this or that. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so this, uh, and even in the last two minutes report, the NBA supported that ruling because they said applying replay review has confirmed that LeBron was outside the restricted area, but the referees also review whether he is in a legal guarding position, which is an additional reviewable matter for the replay trigger. And the replay showed that James was not in a legal guarding position. He was turning his body and moving into Durant when the call contact occurred. Thus, the initial call on the floor was overturned, and James was assessed to block the foul. And also, in this last two minutes report, Draymond Green should have been called for a lane violation on that George Hill free throw. And had he got called for that lane violation... George Hill would have got another attempt, and J.R. Smith would have been saved. And then with 12.1 seconds ago, Green should also have been called for a foul for grabbing LeBron James' arm and affecting his freedom of movement because of contact that preceded James' his pass to George Hill that led to Clay Thompson uh, fouling him. So LeBron should have been on the line with 12.1 seconds instead of George Hill being on the line. All right. Um, finally, things got spicy at the end of the game as LeBron was engaging in some trash talk trash talk with both Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Tristan Thompson and Draymond Green got into it, which leads to Thompson getting a flagrant two and being ejected. Uh, the flagrant foul has been downgraded and he won't miss the next game. He, he will be fined $25,000 though. So, um, you know, after four years or three years in the final, this is the fourth one in a row. Um, we've seen, you know, some tension and, you know, little scuffles, freakers here or there. Of course, everybody remembers the LeBron, you know, looking down on Steph Curry, like it was his son, uh, in Cleveland when they were making that tremendous comeback yeah. to eventually win that finals. Um, so, you know, I think everybody got what they kind of wanted out of this game one. I mean, they had an exciting game. You saw LeBron do amazing things. You saw Steph Curry making shots. You, you got, you know, an all-time memorable mistake that will always, you know, draw back to this game. And then you got to see some trash talk and some animosity at the end. So what more can they do in game two? Well, I mean, when you're playing, when you've played each other for four years, running 
and the biggest stakes of the association, this is going to happen. And now I think we're seeing things finally start to boil over a little bit. And we'll just have to see how things go. I mean, these is, I, I mean, between the core of the Warriors and the um, four holdovers from Cleveland, this is something that is going to be very, very interesting to watch as the series goes on, see if the tempers continue to flare. And, and if the longer it goes, the better it is for drama, TV, all that. All right. All right. So, um, what are your early too early to call it predictions for game two? What do you see um, happening? The uh, to me, the Cleveland Cavaliers did a great job on the offensive uh, backboard. They had a lot of offensive rebounds that really um, you know kept the Warriors from getting out on fast breaks mm-hmm. and, and caused them to have to play extra possessions of defense. Uh, so you know if they can kind of continue that up through the rest of these games in the series, they can kind of keep these games close. But that's kind of my observation. What, what do you see for game two? Um, I see game two. A lot of people have been telling me that I know that they thought this was Cleveland's best shot. And I think we just got to see how it plays out. I think game two, uh, we will see, we'll see the continuation of the dominance of LeBron. We're going to, uh, we got to get, I mean, we got to get more Kevin Love. I mean, Kevin Love doing all he can. I mean, I've never seen 21 and 14 just look like it's really like you have to do more. Uh, I will say that somebody, uh, you know, we saw Larry Nance come through a little bit on the offensive end. We're going to need to see more of that. And somebody, there's going to need to be a fourth guy. So whether it's Jeff Green, uh, whether George Hill decides to show up, or if J.R. Smith, you know, had his come-to-Jesus moment after game one, we'll just have to see what goes on from Um, there. The guy who's kind of been missing the last few games for them has been Kyle Korver. Uh, He had been kind of the the kind of the third guy you could count on, and then you were looking for your fourth guy. But now he's kind of slipped out of that position, and he hasn't really been playing well the past few games uh, in the Boston series to end that series and now this game against the Warriors. So, you know, I think like Houston, to really have a chance with the Warriors, you got to be able to to stay close at the three-point line, hope that they can turn the ball over a little bit too much, and and then offensive rebound. And so, you know, Cal Corbett's going to be a big part of that, staying close at the three-point line. You know, you can get outshot, but if you're only outshot by two or three, you know, you can make that up. LeBron can kind of make that up with free throws and things like that. But if they're going to outshoot you by seven or eight, then, you know, you got no chance to beat them unless they're turning the ball over a lot. So it's just hard to make up those extra points. So, yeah, you know, game one gave us everything we could want. So game two will be definitely uh, another showcase. Um this may be one of those all-time Wilt Chamberlain-type stat lines for LeBron where he averages close to 50 every game, and they still may only win one. Right. So, <laughs> we'll, you know, it'll be fun to see what uh, happens the remainder of the series. So at this point, Dwayne, I'm going to turn it over to you for your final thoughts, thank yous, and shout-outs. Uh, final thoughts, um, shout-out to Jesse. Uh, I hope everything is well. Shout-out to Tobias. Um and shout out to you, Don. Thank you as always. Um, the Rasselcast. Shout out to the Rasselcast, the ladies' night episode with uh, my TT, uh, DD Jane, and Jade. That was a really good one. Um, my final thought um, we're probably at the, I'm going to go back to the uh, Champions League final and, and the blunders that um, happened with uh, Liverpool goalie Loris Carius. And, you know, the. F- the final score was three to one. Real Madrid. They beat Liverpool in the 
Champions League final. Um, two of the goals were pretty um, bad in terms of goalie errors. Uh, uh, first one was when uh, Loris Karius was trying to um, get the ball out to his teammate, but it was so lackadaisical, and, and uh, Kareem Benzema ended up intercepting it and putting it right in the net. And then the very exceptional, awesome bicycle kick from Gareth Bale. I don't care if you're the best goalie in the world, you weren't stopping that. Um, and then the um, second Gareth Bale goal, where it went through Karius's hands, and ultimately, um, this was after Liverpool tied the game, um, you know, the bicycle kick and then the second Bale goal. Um, you know, those two blunders really did cost Liverpool the game. Um, you know, it sucks as a goaltender, you know, you're on an island all alone. Uh, especially bad when your teammates don't come to, you know, give you any consolation and the opposition is the one consoling you. So I don't know what happened with that. I just want to say also that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we want our teams to win, but sending death threats through social media is always like extreme and unnecessary threatening uh, somebody's family. At the end of the day, you know, they are athletes. They are, this is what they sign up for. But, you know, people need to have also some sense and, you know, don't bring a man's family into it. Don't threaten their lives or things like that because it's going to come back on you. And, you know, just at the end of the day, don't make make better decisions, you know, whether it's on social media, whether you're betting, don't bet your house or your car or something valuable where on a team or a player and they lose. So uh, that's all I have to say about that, really. All right. I'd just like to give a shout out to everybody here on the CSPN, especially all the podcasters who create all the content each and every week. I give a shout out to my co-hosts, Dwayne and Jesse, and also Nabias. Um, my final thoughts will probably be um, the super phenom Ronald Acuna, Jun- Acuna Jr. Uh, got very lucky last week as he was trying to leg out a single and he hit the base awkwardly. It looked very bad at first, but it turned out to just be an ACL sprain and not a tear. So he'll miss about if they're careful, probably about 25 days uh, here. He's got a, on the 10 day DL stint, but they'll, they'll probably take their time with him. And in other kind of cool Braves news, former Atlanta Braves pitcher John Smokes won a three man uh, playoff to qualify for the U.S. Senior Open. Um, he's always been touted as like you know almost good enough to play professional while he was uh, a pitcher for the Braves, but of course you know his day job took up his time, so he couldn't quite get that extra little bit of practice that he needed to be you know on the tour. But uh, he's qualified to be in the uh, United States Senior Open, and uh, that'll be pretty cool to see kind of where he lands up. Um, you know now he's like one of the best pitchers ever in the major leagues as far as regular season and postseason. Um, you know transition to become a one of the best closers at the time when he was closing as well. So it'd be interesting to see kind of what his, um, his second sport and, you know, professional sports looks like uh, as he's going to be playing for the senior open. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Even though he was a brave and whatnot, yuck, but good for him. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool, man. To see somebody like I heard Tony Romo is like damn near good enough to be on the PGA tour. Like if he took the extra time to kind of, you know, really took the practice hours that he could probably get out there and, and be a professional on tour right now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, seems to be like these guys who have a lot of money and are very competitive. They, they get caught up in golf because it's such a hard game and there's, you know, just yourself and you have to play yourself and you have to play the course. And I guess it gives them that type of competitiveness that they 
need to fill in that you can't get when you don't play this game anymore. So a lot of guys that once I heard Ken Griffey Jr. is like really good too. So like a lot of these guys who, you know, are really good superstars in one game, you know, take up golf and, and get really good at that as well. So that's that's really cool. So so for the Leaper Icon, Dwayne, I'm Don DeLorente. And now you know the score. Thank you.